Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Christine's colleague at the American Enterprise Institute, where they are both senior fellows, Washington commentary columnist Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. You know, it's been axiomatic for, I don't know, 20 years now or something like that, that the Democratic Party is deeply concerned about the uh, lack of representation in our Congress and and as part of our uh, federal makeup in terms of our states with the 600,000 or so residents of the District of Columbia who are being taxed without representation and being denied their proper place. In the firmament of the states, it should be if the 51st state, it's in the Democratic platform, uh, and uh, and, uh, D.C. should be in charge of its own destiny, apparently until the mayor of Chicago is voted out in a primary because of crime issues. Uh, So that happens on Tuesday, and yesterday, uh, President Joe Biden announced that he would not stand in the way of a uh, House and Senate effort to overturn D.C. City Council and mayoral uh, policies and laws or whatever it is uh, that uh, continue to soften D.C.'s uh, efforts to fight crime or to sort of intercede with D.C.'s efforts to fight crime. Uh, This is complicated issues uh constitution grants congress essentially authority over this district federal district that will house the capital and uh and so um is this just rank hilarious rank hypocrisy or should we take from this a larger political ideological message about uh the democrats it's rank, good. Poli- it's good politics. R- rank, uh, rank hypocrisy is sometimes how the right ideas get advanced. Uh, you know, uh, it, it. If the bottom line, if the bottom line is that Biden sees the writing on the wall, and his response is, is, is therefore becomes a moment of rank hypocrisy, so be it. Well, he also he tried to really uh, split the baby here in a way that was completely unsatisfying, I think, to both to the people who wanted to see want to see tougher on crime measures like like myself, you know, a resident of District of Columbia who's watching the 44 percent increase in the homicide rate and the um, over 100 percent increase in carjackings and car thefts. Like, I'd like to see tougher on crime measures when our crazy progressive city council, which is far to the left of, of anything like even a moderate Democratic voter would would want when they passed a criminal code update, some of which was needed. Let's just put that out there. Some of this was a sort of updating of very old and, and out of date laws, but the but the heart of which was lessening penalties for violent crime, for crimes involving um, wet guns, and for carjackings and other stuff like this. So we have this crazy city council. They they passed this legislation, much of it influenced by special interest groups who want to defund the police and you know want to end incarceration. So like crazy DC Justice League types influence this bill. So then the mayor vetoes it. She's like, I know this is not, you know, which is a good thing. I don't like Miro Bowser. Our listeners know she is, I think, the bane of of, uh, civic politics in D.C. But there you go. She did the right thing there. Um, They override her veto. (laughs) 
And then it goes uh, before Congress. And I, first of all, I'm not one of those people, despite the fact that I'm forced to have taxation without representation on my D.C. license plate. I don't think D.C. should become a state. Uh, if you need any evidence of that, look, the last 50 years of self or the last 30 years of self-governance in this city, it's terrible. Oh, no, I'm it's happy 50. to. It's it's, it's just 50. it's 50. It is 50. That's what I, OK, so 50 years of self-governance has not yeah. produced a shining gem of a city. And we are currently the uh, just an embarrassment that the nation's capital is so overridden by by crime and and just, you know, general decay. It's an embarrassment. So I'm happy to have Congress step in. What's fascinating here is Biden says, well, I'm doing this, even though I still support statehood, I'm going to side with the mayor on this one because the mayor says this is bad. Like he he really tried to have it both ways. I think it's hilarious that progressive Democrats were having none of it. They're very angry at Biden. They feel betrayed. I, I think it's hilarious because 90s tough on crime Biden is returning for just a moment here to sort of wave at everyone and then he'll disappear Matt, again. It's not Matt, all. Right, let me ask you a question, though, Matt. Let me okay. ask you a question. There's a change in the White House in the last month. Ron Klain, chief of staff for the first two years, and the voice, the outreach, the uh, tribune of progressivism inside the Biden White House is no longer the chief of staff. And Jeffrey Zients, a um, very DC small businessman. I was just going to yes. say owns a small business, owns small businesses. In, <laughs> in addition to small, having hundreds I mean, of millions of dollars. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. He has what does he have a sandwich shop? I can't even yeah. remember. No, he has a great bagel place. Call your mother bagel. That's really good. I have one in my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Okay, so he's got a bagel business along with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in other businesses. Um, But, I mean, this raises an interesting question about the fleet-footedness of the Biden administration as it pivots toward 2024. Do we have here a more... Is this like when the White House turned to Dick Morris... Uh, under Clinton, uh, after two years of um, yeah. Leon Panetta, then a big a clueless left winger changed uh, after turned into something else. Panetta later, in part because of terrorism. But um, what do you think? Well, uh, a couple of things. I mean, the first is it's not quite fleet footed because the Democrats who are angry about this are the House Democrats. Right. So Congress doesn't have to intervene in D.C. internal politics. But since we have a Republican House led by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the GOP saw an opportunity here. So they put the resolution on the floor and many House Democrats voted against it. So they're now furious because Biden comes in before the resolution reaches the Senate and allows the Senate Democrats cover to support the resolution overturning the insane uh, criminal justice bill in D.C. So, for example, I just saw a headline that Martin Heinrich, who was a pretty progressive senator from uh, New Mexico, is going to now support the resolution to overturn it. So he's providing a great amount of cover to all Democrats in the Senate, which he didn't do for the House Democrats. So I, I want to call it fleet-footed exactly. Um but well, to the fleet larger, footed after Chicago, though, let's put it this way. It is Chicago, but it's also <laughs> result it, in Chicago. And then it's like 36 hours later, the White House says, I, I, OK, we're going to yeah. violate our, our party's deep con- con- connection to home. Well, in yeah, DC for I mean, it's yeah. it, it's I don't it, look, I don't give this administration very much credit for being on top of the ball in anything. And so, look, yeah, Chicago happened. But they've known about this for a while. I mean, I thought Lindsey Graham had a good quote in the New York Times today where he said, yeah, the, you know, Biden figured out it's never a good idea to be the left to be on the left of D.C.'s mayor. 
you know, because Bowser is giving him a lot of cover too by attempting to by vetoing the bill and then having her veto overridden. The larger question, though, is this question of triangulation, right? Is Biden, as he, I think, demonstrates a seriousness about running for re-election by saying he will not veto this resolution, is he going to try to triangulate against the Republicans on certain issues, primarily entitlements, while moving to the center on others, uh, primarily crime and public safety, because the Democrats are well aware that public safety is a huge vulnerability for them. And I think the answer is yes. And, you know, Mark Halperin, uh, who appears on the podcast and who writes a great morning newsletter, he's been calling this for uh, since January triangulation light. But when I when I pointed out that, well, here's another example of triangulation light, Mark said, replied, it's the real thing. Uh, and, and the question is, are we going to see more of it um, in the year ahead? So a lot of a lot of different uh, decision points and actions had to happen to achieve this result. But I think it's a great result for um, for the city and for the American politics in general. It, it is it is remarkable to see the tone shift among um, sort of outspoken uh, Democrats in D.C. who are suddenly realizing that crime is rising and becoming a problem. Look, yesterday alone, we had a diplomat in the middle of the day, 1130 in the morning, uh, robbed at gunpoint. We had a man stabbed to death in the Petworth Library in front of children, stabbed to death. And we have had in the past week alone, we have had multiple shootings, you know, multiple carjackings every day. This city is is a cesspit. It's becoming a crime cesspit and everyone realizes it. And I think there, there's been an ability for the always white progressive city council types to, to argue that, oh, we'll just look at the institutional structural problems. That has ended with the continued rise in crime. And more and more Democrats are noticing that. That I see a lot of my friends write to me and say, you know, I'm a liberal who's worried about incarceration, but, and then they list all the things happening in their neighborhood. I do think it raises a question of uh, who... DC's elite is actually speaking for, right? So one of the loudest voices in protest of Biden's move is the DC shadow representative, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is saying this is a violation of home rule. This is ridiculous. This is, we have the democratic right to establish our own criminal justice procedures. But the truth is, in every poll, we know not only is public safety a top priority for city dwellers, it's a huge priority for African-American voters. And so who who is Eleanor Holmes Norton actually representing here? It's not the people of D.C. who are the, especially the people who live in um, uh, deprived communities and who are <laughs> uh, African-American. It's the elite special interest left. That is who is aggrieved here. It's not, and, and it's not the people of D.C. It's the left-wing interest groups who, as you say, Christine, dominate these city uh, councils. Okay, but that's that's okay. That's the policy question. Then let's talk about the political question. The stories this morning in various places are that Democrats in the House feel blindsided because Biden did this after they voted, right? Or, uh, um, and um, if you really want to talk triangulation, that's good for Biden. Like they they think they're he. They're worried. He's worried. They're mad at them. First of all, they're in the minority. So they have no power. Second of all, triangulation requires a little triangulation against his own left flank. It's not just that you triangulate against Republicans by seeming more moderate. It is that you, 
you you say, look, I am so independent minded that I am willing to face down people in my own party who are, you know, reckless or or irresponsible. You know, this is the sister soldier moment idea. Um, I don't really think that this constitutes that. It is um, an interestingly uh, cold-blooded thing to do to elected officials in his own party if they got actual explicit assurances from the White House last week or whenever it was this vote took place that the White House was going to veto the bill if if it passed the House and Senate. Uh, and therefore, that was their cover. They voted again, and and they would they would uh they also didn't get a chance to take a sister soldier moment for themselves these congressmen who voted uh who voted essentially on the home rule point and that's why i wonder i think i think i i, I just to pull back i think it is an interesting indication of a shift in mood inside the white house after Ron Klain's departure, because the degree to which Biden tacked left and stayed tacked left throughout the first two years of his term were really a feature of Klain's advice to him and Klain's position as the person who was an open ear, an open phone, an open voice, and an and an open ally of uh, the more left-wing elements of the I party. Think, uh, yeah, go ahead. But I think we have to weigh this against for a, a number of things. But for example, yesterday's news about um, Biden um, signaling that he'd veto uh, the ESG, uh, um, the, the anti-ESG move on the part of Congress. Um, he's he he can triangulate perhaps on crime. Uh, very narrowly, because that is that that and that is the best that is the smartest place for him to do it, um, because it is it is where the outrage is most urgent. Um, he doesn't he's he's it's not a broad triangulation here at all. Right. Well, that's the whole thing about triangulation is you pick and choose because it's ideologically inconsistent. That's 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 the game. That was the Clinton night game. You know, you say things like. I went too far. Uh, we did tax you too much or something like that. But then you don't then advocate for cutting taxes or, you know, I'm going to try to sound tough by saying things like, and this is something Clinton did in 1996. We are so tough that we are going to take driver's licenses away from deadbeat dads who do not pay child support. What the hell was that? It's first of all, driver's licenses are 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 a state and local issue. Second of all, there's no constitutional way that you can deny someone a driver's license for being sued in a civil procedure over whether or not they're paying child support. The whole thing was like nonsense. It's like that's the, the uh, other. It's like the yeah. fees in the State of the Union, right? Right. Biden. Uh, in the state of the union saying he's going to crack down on the luggage fees and the hotel fees. When you check in, it's um, micro issues that right. uh, Clinton seized upon and uh, turned into a big deal. School uniforms, V chip uh, deadbeat dads in the 1990s. Now we have baggage fees, uh, a hotel, you know, a bill 
uh, yeah. st- st- you know, the room service tax, yeah. you know, and of course, think about and our and priorities, insulin, actually. <laughs> and of course, insulin prices where he insulin said prices, where he announced that, that we were going to set insulin prices at the price point that they actually are at. That that was the great <laughs> thing. Like, no one's going to pay more than thirty five dollars right. for insulin. And ninety six percent of people who get insulin or something like that pay around thirty five dollars for insulin. So but that was really and a, he scored a win there this week when I believe it was Pfizer, one of the yeah. drug companies. Fi- yes, Pfizer and lowered its price. Yes. But yeah. it lowered. That's like saying that it lowered. It's like that your car dealer lowers the price from the sticker price like no right, one right. yeah if you're stupid enough to pay the sticker price yeah. you know you're a sap and you should but i mean nobody yeah. was paying the sticker price on insulin right which is why one of the reasons it was it was a, a comic gimme but hard for republicans like, to say that in a 30 second ad right i know and, so and there's it's, no it's point there's win. no point to right and there's no point to anyway because saying you know he's on the you know he's on the right side of the he's on the right side of the insulin price issue but for the wrong reason because <laughs> yeah. the market was working you know right. just give it up like that's not that's not worth having so a fight over it's it's smart politics on his part i don't know how much zeins was involved remember you know the, the the inner circle, the troika, if you will, of the Biden administration. Yes, Ron Klain, the chief of, former chief of staff, was the most powerful. But there are other people Susan like Tom, Tom Donnellan. Well, but even closer. So there were people like Bruce Reed and Tom Donnellan who had been around Biden for 30 years and who were more of the Clintonite DLC, Democratic Leadership Council, vein in the party. I think someone like Susan Rice, who's the domestic policy head, w- w- you know, she's it's hard to pin her down sometimes. Um, you know, I, again, I have a rule of thumb, as I said earlier in the week, if yeah. something bad happens, she's probably involved. So I would put her more with the claim group. Um, but I but we just don't know. But the, the point is, Biden's sense is that in order to run for reelection, he is going to have to continue to occupy something of the middle, uh, especially on such an issue like public safety. And, and then the the kind of the second tier pol- politics of this is the Senate, right? And I, I've been spending a lot of time lately looking at the 2024 cycle you know, for Senate races. This is a year that um, should be a good opportunity for Republicans because you have um, mainly Democrats on the defensive and you have potential pickups in uh, Trump voting states, right? Red states. But uh, the close, you know, the further we get into the cycle, and granted, we're only about a quarter in, not even, um, it doesn't look very good for the Republicans because you have uh, John Tester from Montana, who, uh, um, uh, again, uh, came out against the, uh, came out for the ESG rule that Biden says he's now going to veto. He's going to run for reelection. You have um, Manchin up in the air. He still hasn't really said whether he's going to run for re-election or not. Uh, you have Sherrod Brown in Ohio, who for a variety of reasons seems to be kind of immune from a lot of trends in national in his state, Ohio, which has gone pretty red. And then it was interesting, right, bef- right around the time of Biden's announcement, Bob Casey, the senator from Pennsylvania, said he was going to support overturning the DC criminal code as well. So these senators, these democratic senators who are headed into the 2024 cycle are, are pretty savvy po- politicians themselves. And they also, someone like Casey understands that our politics have become so um, straight ticket uh, and tribal that 
if a candidate wins the presidential wins the presidential vote in a state, the Senate candidate of his party is probably going to win too, right? right? So this is definitely kind of I think aimed toward the Philadelphia suburbs <laughs> because Biden right, yeah. knows he's got to win the Philadelphia suburbs in twenty four, and then that will help Bob Casey get reelection. And um, it, it's rare to have uh, you know. Republican politicians think that um, instrumentally, right? You know, Republicans are responsible for this. I think we, we should give one, Kevin McCarthy have, credit, yeah. but it, it, thinking they're not as good as, as like adapting to the changing political situation and the electoral needs of their coalition. I mean, Pennsylvania, it's funny you mentioned that because the only Republican example I can think of that follows this model in instrumentality in terms of thinking ahead was this a pretty shocking thing that happened in the first term of the George W. Bush administration when um, in a in a desperate effort to shore up uh, Tom Ridge and, and others, the White House announced that it was going to maintain quotas on 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 the on the importation of steel. Uh, which, uh, if you ask Carl Rowe today, he'll say, well, there was this reason we have that pensions, very complicated pension situation, uh, at us steel and various other things. But in fact, it was, it was an effort to forestall and to help Republicans win Pennsylvania in 2004. So there is a history on both sides of playing that game, particularly in, you know, in, in, in you know, the swingiest of swing states, which Pennsylvania was then, it seems rather less so. Though now. it was close. You know, it was, it was close, close in 2020. I mean... No, it was. It was. Yeah. and um, Not as close as Wisconsin, but... Yeah. Uh, or right. Arizona. But, but I'm just saying, anyway, it's a... It's a, it's because, a, it's a, yeah, so the, historically, uh, you know, parties do uh, play this game, and this is very low cost. It's incredibly low cost for, for Biden. First of all, there are 600,000 people in the in the District of Columbia. Second of all, the District of Columbia, not that its electoral votes matter because they don't matter, but there are, I don't know, two or three of them. And uh, it goes 90% for Democrats. Uh, and so he's got nothing to fear here. And there's no there's no negative consequences except people saying something like, you know, he's not woke enough or he's, you know. So that's exactly my point, because yeah. he's he's actually thinking about swing voters and independents where he recognizes that the electoral base of the Democratic Party isn't going to go anywhere. Right. I mean, sure, it's only three electoral votes that but still he knows he's going to win it with the Republicans always make the mistake of thinking their base voters are swing voters. And so everything, how do we, ha- how do we keep the base happy today? How do we keep the base yeah. happy today? Yeah. Well, maybe take a second to think about the people who aren't your base voters, who you continue, you've lost in the past three cycles and you need to win. Right. Um, all right. So let, I should let also me... say we have 700,000 people in the district. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I evaluate <laughs> policy in DC by, does it help Christine or not? There we go. This that's, I like that's this my general rule. That's <laughs> why I rule. was for overturning the criminal code because it's going to help Christine. <laughs> that, 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 like as, as 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 it should be. You know what else should be? What else should be is that you should consider Bambi if you have a small business uh, for help with your human resources issues. Like think about all the challenges people have. What do you do with remote workers? How do you bring workforce back in full time in office settings? 
Uh, how do you make sure that people are working if they're remote? How do you attract and keep top talent? That's what Bambi helps you with by providing you with an HR manager by phone, text, real-time chat, uh, email. Uh, such a person on staff could cost you $80,000 a year. Bambi starts at $99 a month uh, with HR managers based in the United States uh, who support and understand the nuances of HR rules and regs across all 50 states, uh, customize their your HR policies uh, to fit your business. Uh, and uh, historically, Bambi clients are four times less likely to have a complaint filed against them. So you should really, really, really look into Bambi. Uh, you can get a schedule a free conversation today to see how much it can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. And type in Commentary Magazine under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com, Bambi dot com. Type in Commentary Magazine. Matt, you have a piece this morning, uh, your Friday column in the Washington Free Beacon, uh, moving back to uh, to Biden and maybe where uh, his uh, his weird, he's, he appears to be triangulating against himself. Uh, as he is discussing uh, the war in Ukraine and the needs of the of 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 the U- Ukrainians in fighting the Russians, because um, he is now fully committed to a policy to see this through as long as it takes, and yet he is tying his own policies hands behind his own back about what resources are going to be delivered to the Ukrainians at the same time. Uh, while uh, there is no one really putting pressure on him except knowledgeable people who understand how war works uh, saying, you know, you're not doing enough. Um, Or the Republicans are so divided on this that they can't really get a voice, uh, a unified voice together to say you're not doing enough. So Biden's saying uh, we should do this much. And then he says to David Muir of ABC they don't need F-16s right now. They don't need planes right now. Right. Well, they, as you say, uh, they think they need planes right now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Maybe they know better. So, so w- w- what's the psychology here? Uh, it's very some very worrying trends, I think, in the Ukraine war now that we're entering the second year uh, that I tried to put uh, down on paper in my or in bites in my column. Um, and the, the basic trend is this, is, uh, you know, the historical parallels uh, with wars that the United States uh, in the past 75 years has stalemated or lost are uh, coming into view and uh, in two main ones. The first is uh, in, in those cases, wars like Korea, Vietnam, uh, the second Gulf War, the Iraq War and Afghanistan, the enemy uh, had a refuge. They had a safe haven. And for domestic political reasons, America did not go into that safe haven. So Korea was, you know, north of the Yalu River, China, uh, in Vietnam, uh, we avoided attacking the, uh, the, the Viet uh, Cong and NVA, um, encampments in Laos and Cambodia until the very end of the war when Nixon was trying to extricate us. And of course that basically blew up America in terms of the student rebellion when he did do that. In um, uh, Iraq, uh, you know, we knew pretty early on that Iran was arming the insurgency, especially the Shiite 
armies of Muqtada al-Sadr against us, and we never really directly attacked Iran. And then if the, the most flagrant case is uh, Pakistan, where you know the Taliban is literally a creation of the Pakistani intelligence service, we found out that oh, actually Pakistan was harboring Osama bin Laden <laughs> for years yeah. right near there. And uh, you know Obama, to his credit, took out bin Laden, but we never really went into uh, the the refuge. Okay, so that's condition one, and and the parallel is in Ukraine. We the refuge is literally Russia because it, it's right there, and we're we're telling the Ukrainians we're not going to give you anything to attack Russia directly. Right, we don't want to do that because we're afraid of escalation. And the second parallel is this uh, idea of under resourcing the war effort, and again. You know, in uh, in Vietnam in particular, um, you know, Johnson flooded Vietnam with troops, but they were all in South Vietnam. And then he kind of managed this weird proportional bombing campaign in the north where he was kind of dialing up the pressure, dialing down the pressure in this effort to force um, progress at the negotiation table. And um, the resource in the second Gulf War was clear early on. I linked to, you know, I, a speech I attended, I covered for the Weekly Standard in August 2003, when John McCain returned from a trip to Iraq, this is just a few months into the war, and says, we need many more troops there to restore order. And if we don't do that, this is going to go badly. And guess what? We didn't do that, and it went really badly. Yeah. And so the parallel here is give them everything, give the Ukrainians everything they need. I mean, you, you, and they're demanding it. Well, fine, give it to them so that they can actually achieve progress on the ground. The The bottom line, John, is that if you don't do these two things, if you allow the, res if you don't go into the refuge and you don't resource the war adequately, public support for the war at home begins to fall. And that is exactly what's happening here. It's most apparent in the Republican Party but it is, as Peter Baker pointed out in yesterday's New York Times, it's also becoming apparent in independent voters, right, who Biden is looking at, and eventually with Democrats whose, I think, instincts are more lean toward peace and dovishness. And, and so this this is a bad, bad situation. And the announced, the, the articulating that uh, will be there for as long as it takes, sort of automatically self-defeating. That's exactly the thing that makes the, the 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 American skeptics say no 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 then let then let's stop now if, if you know maybe you could have sold me on a, on a shorter victorious war what exactly what I don't want is to be there as long as it takes well Look, and as I mean, Matt Matt points out in yeah. the in his column the political implications for an upcoming Republican primary here matter right you're giving the whole blank check don't give them a blank check wing of the Republican Party is going to grow if we are in this kind of weird limbo that the Biden administration is is pursuing with these but I mean remarks. the point here is that is precisely that um the Republicans are going to hit this we're giving them a blank check when precisely, we're not giving them a blank check. We've limited their credit. It's like when you have, you know, it's a debit card and we've limited their ability to withdraw money to $20 at a time. It's, it's literally like that. the worst possible. Right. <laughs> and it's not and, a compromise. and the, the thing is that I think the Johnson analogy is very telling because Biden is on the hook for this war. He put it. That's why I'm saying he's negotiating with himself in a very bad way. He has put himself on the hook. If the war goes badly, the Republicans aren't going to say, boy, it's really great that he, you know, he made sure he kept his powder dry so that we could extricate ourselves from this nightmarish situation. They're going to say they're going to turn on a dime and say you lost this war just like you lost Afghanistan. 
he's got no refuge or recourse except some form of victory for the Ukrainians. Well, so this is, again, this gets me to my second worrying trend, which I didn't really get to in the column. And that is, he does not actually want to pursue a victory strategy. He wants to pursue a peace settlement through diplomacy, yeah. just right. as an instinct. And so you had this meeting on the uh, sidelines of the G20 conference yesterday between uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and the Russian foreign minister, um, Sergei Lavrov. You know, And it, the question is, why? Why did he have this meeting? Well, uh, it was a 10-minute conversation. Blinken said that he demanded that Lavrov um, uh, stop this war of aggression, which was kind of like when Jeb Bush demanded that Donald Trump stop insulting his wife, and Trump said no, <laughs> and that was it. That was the end. And like Lavrov, you know, I demand that you stop this war, and Lavrov's like, no, we're not. Uh, and the, but but more importantly, the real reason that Blinken wanted to talk to Lavrov was to get Russia back into the New Start nuclear arms control agreement that. That Russia left a couple weeks ago. And so it just shows to me this completely bizarre calculation of American interests. One, uh, Biden re-entered the New START agreement uh, immediately upon taking office, despite the facts, the known facts that Russia was cheating on this agreement. And then when, after beginning the largest conflict in Europe since World War II, Rather than modernize our nuclear forces or um, begin to, you know, a broader attempt at uh, dealing with China's increasing nuclear arsenal, it's no, let's go try to plead with this despotic regime <laughs> that launched this war of aggression <laughs> and is killing hundreds of thousands of people of its own citizens as well as Ukrainians. Um, please, please reenter the treaty with us. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, um, it's a clue into the Biden administration's thinking that uh, is, is not reassuring in the least. Again, I, I just want to go back to the naked politics of this or the or the or the the overarching uh, problem for Biden, which is that um, this is his this is his war now. And, and for good or ill, like, in other words, if the Ukrainians were to i don't know what it means to win decisively but it but it, if the war were to end in a way that appeared that ukraine won and russia lost that would be a huge historical benefit for biden for his you know uh, and um anything else opens him up <clears throat> to uh firing uh, all around him from left to right <clears throat> we shouldn't have done it in the first place it's our fault. NATO expansion did it. Uh, you know, what, whatever we, we didn't or and then the, on the right, it will be we didn't go in hard enough. We didn't try to win. Um, and whether or not Trump and DeSantis and the and the the weird pro-Russia people uh, further to their to their right uh are you know it'll be hypocritical for them to turn on a dime and say that uh, biden lost this war out of his fecklessness they'll do it anyway and uh and who's going to defend him uh if you if, if we're going to do it in the first place you should have just done it like it's 
that's why I say it's weird if he says they don't need the F-16s now. Now, obviously, somebody must be telling him in his defense establishment somewhere saying they don't need it now. Look how well they're, they've got them. You know, the tank battles are going well and they're doing this and they're doing that. And the Russians are using infantry. Blah, 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 blah. And then we have all this weird back and forth over uh, um, the uh, Bakhmut situation. It, is Russia about to take Bakhmut? Is you know are the Ukrainians about to lose Bakhmut after this you know three month siege? Uh, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of telling uh, who's right and who's wrong and who's lying and what the fog of war is. Um, but uh, uh, Biden is eventually not going. He is going to give them the 16s, as I keep saying. He might as well do it now. Rather than six months from now, if the Ukrainian position is degraded and then he's forced to do it as a kind of rear guard action to help turn the tide of the war back toward the Ukrainians, instead of helping them deliver, maybe it's not a death blow, but to help them achieve a strategic advantage at this moment in the war that really does seem to try to break the Russian spirit uh, about going doing this forever. It's bizarre. It is a bizarre piece of behavior and history should be telling him you know he was himself you know in his early to you know he was in his early 20s when uh when johnson fell into this buzzsaw in vietnam i i granted democrats did have not ever really understood the lesson of johnson's vietnam era behavior uh in the right way and they should have read my father's book why we were in vietnam to explain it but Biden could still read it now, and then maybe it would help him not be an idiot when it comes to the F-16s. Because that's really hard to do to help him not be an idiot. Well, there you go. That's, <laughs> I think that's a major problem. Okay, uh, we will we will leave it there. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday for Abe, Christine, and Matt. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.